Welcome. My name is Alicia. I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this workshop. Please, please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me this serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we begin, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please check again. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. OA members are reminded when sharing to speak to your recovery in the program of Overeaters Anonymous only. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. Um, is there any press? Are there any members of the press in the room right now? Okay, thank you. Um, there will be audio recordings of this workshop, which you may purchase outside in the foyer. This workshop will have speakers followed by ask it basket questions. During the workshop, please keep the basket moving. The topic for this session is youth in OA, finally fitting in, finding our way, and the principle is equality. We will begin with a selection from A Common Solution, Diversity and Recovery, page 24. At my OA meeting, I was usually the youngest person by at least 30 years. How am I going to relate to these people? They're all twice my age. I couldn't have been more wrong. The knowledge and experience of older OA members gave me the courage to believe in myself. And um, I am moderating because I started OA in high school, then I left, and then I came back in when I was 20 years old, and that time I stayed. Um, let's welcome Christine, our first speaker. Thank you. My name is Christine. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. And I'm glad that I was asked to be of service. Um, I'll start off with, uh, qualifying. I've been in Overeaters Anonymous since I was 28, and that's been seven years now. And I, my top weight was about 400, maybe a little bit over 400. I'm not sure. I didn't weigh at that time, but the last time I weighed in, it was like 389, and I had lost at least 15, 20 pounds, so whatever that was. Um, I've had five years of absence and um, continue to live and work this program one day at a time. I'm going to read you, uh, actually, the passage of today from Voices of Recovery on page 176, which really, really describes what it's like to be a young person in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, it says, what all of us have in common is that our bodies and minds seem to send us signals about food which are quite different from those the normal eaters receive. And that's from the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. My diseased mind tells me, tries to tell me that by compulsively eating certain foods, I can make any situation better. I now know this is not true. 
I accept the fact that I react to food differently from normal eaters. I am different from a, a normal eater. I may also feel that life is very different from my fellow OA members. Our compulsive eating may be the only thing we have in common, but that doesn't matter. Our desire to stop eating compulsively brings us together as one. Even the most different OA fellow shares my disease. Being part of the OA fellowship means that I never have to feel alone. My mind will never operate the way a normal eater's does. I accept the fact that I will always have this disease. However, now I no longer have to feel isolated, different, or ashamed. Today, I can rest easy in the fact that I am not alone. And I think that really, you know, speaks to what it was like to be in the disease. You know, I'm a binger, volume eater. I could eat anything in high amounts of volume. And it was very easy to pack on, you know, those 400 pounds. And thank God I don't have to do that today. That's the difference. But when you're in the disease, of course, you feel alone. There's nobody there. And I'm in, like, high school. I was awkward. I was the tallest. I'm, like, 5'9". I was just not accepted. I felt like I just wasn't fitting in. All my life I did that. And, you know, being the binge eater that I was, I had probably five meals a day and they were all really big meals. And that means going to drive throughs three times a night and then going home for dinner. Like nothing had ever happened. Um, I hit it very well. People thought I was really, really happy. And now that I've been in Overeaters Anonymous for seven years, you know, some of my close family members were like, I never knew you had a problem. They just didn't understand that I may have this fun personality or very goofy sense of humor and always wearing a smile and that everything's great. But inside I was dying. Every day I was dying because I could not stop eating. And there was a point where I wanted to commit suicide. And that... Probably what that was my my lowest moment, and I told a friend, and thank God Google was around at that time, because I my friend and I said, well there has to be something because you know there's so many programs for everything else, so I typed in I have a problem with food and Overeaters Anonymous came up, and I was like oh man I have something I, there's something I can go to for this do I really want to, so what do I do? You want confirmation that this is the right thing to do, right? That's what I want. I want everybody to accept that I'm going to do something really good. I need, I need the pat on the back. Told my doctor. She said, yes, do it. Told my mom, yes, do it. My sister, no, 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 no. You got the willpower. You got this. You can do this. Six, I said, okay, I'll give myself six months. One month, uh, you know, the dieting, the over-exercising, everything. Six months later, I was at my first OA meeting. And it was the best decision my higher power ever did for me. Because that definitely was not me. I came in and I didn't feel alone anymore. And that was the, the greatest relief I could have ever had. Um, all my life, all I ever wanted was to not feel alone, to feel loved, and not have to use food anymore. And I knew I had a disease. That it wasn't just because I was a bad person. Or that there was just something wrong with me. There wasn't. I am a good person. 
my disease tells me I'm not. Um, after shedding the weight, 160 pounds later, um, still working, but I am where I'm supposed to be. That's, that's what I know today. And I know that I'm not alone. And every, you know, some days it feels like I am alone still. And, you know, um, but then I remember, oh, I can grab the phone and text somebody. Or I can read something. Or I can go for a walk. Or I can connect with my higher power. Either way, um, it's the best decision, like I said, my higher power has ever made for me is coming into these rooms and really digging down deep and knowing that I'm going to be okay. I am what they call, I, I call a transitional period in my life. So I've been with my significant other for about for five years. And we have decided to separate and live apart. And that's a huge deal. Um, I'm packing. My life is in disarray in boxes. <laughs> I, you know, my mom had a scare with, with cancer. And then all these people started leaving from my unit at work. And so I felt like everything was chaotic, but the one thing I didn't have to do was eat. And I didn't, I didn't pick up the food. So guess what happens? I find a place to live. I get to take one of my dogs. I, my mom is scot-free. Fine. Everything is good. I got an interview for a job that I wanted. If I had eaten I would not have seen these little small miracles that happen. And I don't know where I would be without Overeaters Anonymous. Maybe 600 pounds. Who knows where I would be? Um, I can tell you about what I do um, daily. When I wake, so I am a sponsor. So I use my tools. My tools are very, very important to me. Um, I've been a sponsor for about five years now, and it's probably one of the most important tools I have to be able to connect to somebody every single day and see how they work their program. I know we're we're having this relationship and that trust and you know them being able to be completely vulnerable and honest with me. It's the same thing I do with my sponsor. Um, my experience in program is that there is no perfect sponsor, which is awesome because we're all compulsive overeaters. We learn from each other. And I've had a couple of sponsors, and I've learned tremendous things from them. And I feel like this whole process is a growing experience. I grow, and I keep growing and growing and shedding those layers of my disease. You know, like they say, peeling the onion, getting to that core. And every sponsor that I have brings me closer to my core and, and who I'm supposed to be, that true, authentic self my higher power wants me to be. And I have an amazing sponsor right now, very delicate, knows that this is my program. And it really is my decision as to whether or not I want to work it. If I don't read something in the morning or I don't do my meditation, that doesn't affect my sponsor. That affects me. So this Program is definitely a choice. It's a choice. Every I heard this in, in a meeting as well as someone said, it's like every day your higher power brings you this gift of abstinence, and it's at the foot of your bed. And you can either choose to pick it up and take it with you, or you can choose to leave it and do whatever you want, which is I call my will, following my own thing. 
and I am a rebel without a cause when that happens. And I go to meetings. I love meetings. Meetings are amazing. I go to three to four a week. That keeps me sane. Um, Because every day I wake up, it's like amnesia. It's like, oh, everything's fine. I don't have anything wrong. Sometimes I forget I'm a compulsive overeater, and I think I'm just this normal chick. And even though we don't know what normal really means, we could say, or maybe the normie, the normal eaters, shall I say, um, I just work in a different way. I have a disease. And it's just like taking medication. If you have a sickness or an illness, you take a medication to help you. This is my spiritual medication. Every day, if I don't take it, something does go awry. If I don't read my re- readings, if I don't talk to my sponsor, if I don't reach out to my fellows, if I don't go to a meeting, I can definitely feel it. There's just something missing in my life. And if you had said to me that I would come and I would speak about things I've done with food or how I live my life today and that I would exercise, that I would actually move my body and want to sweat, no, 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 no. Because I was the ultimate couch potato. Um, You know, one of the things, I, like I said before, I wanted in life was love. And I found that in movies uh, in my childhood because I grew up in an alcoholic home. Uh, learned how to be very codependent because my whole family's like that. And uh, I didn't know how to love, though. That's one of the things that I didn't see in my family. Everything was a secret for some reason. I wasn't allowed to say anything. So I didn't get that, but I, I just said, okay, this is how it is. Um, I was also molested when I was younger, and I would not tell anybody anything like that if it wasn't for this program and working through that issue. And knowing that I, it's not uncommon. I've met a couple, a lot of people who've had the same thing happen to them. So every time I think I'm this unique person and this tragedy is just, oh, just happening to me, um, I know that I'm playing the victim and that I'm not taking responsibility for my part. And that's what these steps do for me. Every time I go through the steps, I learn something new. It's just like I said, when you wake up in that amnesia feeling that you think you're okay and everything's fine and you don't have to do these actions or use the tools or participate in life. That's really what it is. Today I'm aware. I'm awake. I know where my feet are. Um, I don't have to keep filling myself up with food. I don't have to hurt myself. And that's what food did. It really did hurt me. Um, I'm diabetic. And that's one of the things that happens when you're a compulsive overeater like me, you know? All that, I damaged my body in, in ways that I didn't think I was doing. And I'm responsible by taking my medication, which is good. Um, will it ever go away? Maybe not. I don't know. But one of the great things that I've learned also in program is every action I take, as long as I'm taking the action, whatever the outcome is, is none of my business. That's all goes with my higher power. My higher power will tell me what needs to happen next. And it's this really funny, funky little thing that happens where it's like, oh, Christina, you should probably eat fruit and not want to grab that, you know, X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, 
okay, fine, I'll eat the fruit. Um, it's not my first choice. It's not what I go for, but it's, it's what I do today, which is pretty awesome. And I think one of the, the most important part is that I feel equal with everybody in these rooms, no matter how old you are. One of the great things is I've started early. There, I know I've heard people share in the rooms are like, oh, I didn't come in until I was 50. I didn't come in until I was in my 60s. I was fortunate enough to have this fellowship because of everybody that started in Overeaters and Honest before me. Coming in at 28 years old, it doesn't seem like something cool to do. You know, I wanted to be fun and young, and I didn't want to have routine, and I didn't want to be responsible, you know. But every single person can identify with me. They understand, and I can identify with them. Some of my best friends are in their 60s and 70s, and that's pretty freaking awesome for me. (laughs) Um, It's scary, but it's worth it. My life is worth it today, and I know that. Um, And I have a rich, full life of love, understanding, kindness, patience. And I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back and see how much I could gain, because I know I can do it really quickly. So I'm going to keep coming back one day at a time. Because a life without OA is not a life at all. A life without my higher power is not a life at all. Um, So I choose to be abstinent. And I choose my recovery. Thanks. Thank you. Please pass the ask it basket. And our second speaker is Alex. My name's Alex. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Alex. And uh, it's wonderful to be here at this OA Region 2 convention. Thanks to everyone doing service to put it on. It's really a privilege. I, did, I was afraid of the conventions um, when I first got here because I didn't... Um, when I first got in OA, I was afraid of people. I still am, too, but I'm here. So that's all right. Um, there's some progress. Um, that's really more God's success than mine today. So I just want to say, um, when I was 22 is when I first came to OA. And I'm 30 years old now. I've been abstinent by self-defined standards the last six years. Um, since some time around June 15th, 2010. Maybe it was June 14th. Thank you. I power heard you clapping. He's like, Yeah. I did do that. <laughs> I don't. I'm. I don't do abstinence well. Um, that's why I, I, I need this program. So, as a younger person, um, I thought I thought it was kind of easier for me to get into OA than some others because I never really felt like a young person in high school. I'd hang out. My friends were teachers, and uh, other people who didn't have friends were my friends. I 
I didn't even get. I found out after I graduated that uh, the Japanese animation club people were my friends, but I didn't know. I and I just lied too. I didn't even realize it. Um, I didn't actually graduate high school. I dropped out. I I did two years at a public high school, and um, my one friend that I used to hang out with, he kept going cutting class to go to the internet in the library. I'm not going to talk talk about what he was doing on the internet. <laughs> in the library so he eventually got expelled or sent to a special school for guys who cut class and go to the library and so I didn't have any friends my sophomore year and so then my junior year I went to a boarding school which uh, was cool because my girlfriend went there and I got to hang out with her I felt unlovable Um, and I got in a pretty unhealthy relationship because the uh, thing is, when you feel unlovable like me, you kind of get in a relationship with anyone that's available. I'll kind of sell myself out. I'll, like, agree with, you know, this person. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I agree. Like, death metal is awesome, you know. <laughs> like, I love, you know. So that's, jeez. Uh, so, so I went to this boarding school, and there were, like, 15 students there was like 20 at the beginning of the semester but everyone was sneaking out in the in the woods to drink and smoke pot and eventually they had like 15 students and then another one quit they had 14 and um the teachers came to the students and said you guys if you keep doing this we can't have a school and all the kids we got together and we're like we'll use willpower like we'll stop our behaviors and and uh after like five days, everyone was going off in the woods again. And I was like, you guys, I wasn't, you know, at that point I was like, I was like, I don't smoke anything. I don't, I, no, food's my thing. I'm good. Um, I don't have a problem, you know, I'm in, you know, food. But then it was all about what the food, you know, can I get dessert? Is it dessert? I remember the cafeteria because of the dessert. They'd bring the dessert out. And, um, I used to go to this place, Fresh Choice. It's a buffet. When I was a kid, I'd always want to go there. My parents would would take us out to eat like once a year it felt like it was more probably like once a month and they say like where do you want to go and I was like fresh choice because they had a machine that had a frozen dairy product that would come out of it you pull the lever dairy product would come out I would see how I could, how, how high I could stack it like like I got really good at that um, so that was kind of um, so the school like Everyone was doing it again, and they're like, well, and they had all these rationalizations that didn't make any sense. In light of, like, Big Book says, in light of what happened, the school closed, and I got resentful and depressed and angry because I finally found somewhere I fit in. And I was with other people who, they're not here to defend themselves, or arguably, possibly sick people like me. That's where I fit in. And that's why I fit in in OA, even though I was 22. It's because I'm a sick person trying to get well. So I'm in a room full of sick people who are trying to get well, and I fit in. Who knew? I can make myself not fit in anywhere. I can go to an OA meeting and think, well, they have, like, too much recovery or they have not enough recovery. Like, I thought, you know, like, you could quantify recovery. Like, this person has, like, 20 ounces of recovery, and this person has, like, 16 ounces. And, um, you know, that's not how it works um, for me. So, um, so I, I, like I was saying, um, didn't have a lot of friends. I was kind of a loner. Um, 
my goals were limited as a young person to fill that void of feeling unloved. And I thought the way that that I could fill that void, so my first girlfriend decided um, to date other people um, at the same time as she was dating me. And uh, she decided that I was okay with it. And <laughs> I, I, uh, I agreed with her. And I was like, this is good. That means I could date other people. But the thing about, like I was saying, feeling unlovable is I actually couldn't. And it's because I didn't really want to. It's because I would rather feel unlovable. Um, I would rather feel small and unworthy. Um, when I saw that, it was really like so obvious. Like, oh man, no wonder everyone hates me. Because uh, they're doing what I'm asking. They're doing what I'm asking them to do, and then I'm blaming them. Like, how dare you people? So um, so food was like, I thought my friend, it didn't talk back, it didn't, you know, I could control it. What it for whatever reason, I became a compulsive eater very early in life. I had a high metabolism, so it didn't show until I was maybe 18. I started gaining weight from the way I was eating. Um, and even then, it wasn't the weight that brought me to OA. I would always say early on, I'm like, it's not about weight for me. And I, I gained 30 pounds in my first two years in OA. I'm like, it's not about weight, you know. But like, it's about, you know, your relationship with food, and it's about surrender. And um, I had to give up all that stuff that I was saying because it didn't work. It just kept me in the food. And um, I'm still sometimes, I don't have a perfect program or a perfect abstinence. And part of my thing is perfectionism. Like, if I'm not going to do it perfect, like, forget about it. Um, the way my higher power has been working in OA, and this is what I just learned after a series of 10 steps that left me feeling, like, raw and vulnerable and upset, is, is my sponsor has me write a letter to God, and then I read it to him. And it's a little more involved than that, but that's uh, I, I'm going to run out of time probably. So he... um. So I wrote this letter to God about how I was still eating compulsively certain ingredients that were on my food plan, but there was still a little compulsion in it. Um, even though I was, you know, my own self-defined abstinence. So, and then he uh, called me out for eating compulsively. And then I had to write another 10 step about how resentful I was that he called me out and it hurt my feelings. And like, so what, the way my heart, what came out of that was beautiful as I grew closer to my higher power and I found what abstinence means to me and how it works in my life is that it's the way it's always worked my entire time in OA is that slowly there's this ripening process where I become aware of like foods or eating behaviors that aren't working and then my higher power shows me them and then I start getting concerned and writing about them and becoming aware I write my food down and send it in every day to my food sponsor so I start becoming aware of it and then it will hit a certain point where I don't have to do that anymore. And that happened with sugar six years ago. It happened with um, with wheat, like probably about four years ago, three and a half. It happened with artificial sweeteners. It happened with all kinds of foods. It happened with eating eating meals closer than four hours together. It, it, things like that. It came with getting too hungry. Like I don't have to do that to myself. Um, it started coming to hit bottom sooner, so I don't have to go back to the way I was. Um, it started with step three. It started with step three, and I got a sponsor who's. And, and the thing about being a young person is, as I was kind of like 
praying like, God, please don't make me speak at the young people's meeting. Because I kind of always had a resentment at young people because they were young. And I, and I never felt like I was a young people. But I always feel still like a young person. Like, when am I going to grow up and respect myself and love myself? Like, um, I'm finding that I don't have to do that to myself. I don't have to identify as a young person or an old person or, or you know, that, those roles I play. Um, all that I really get to do is do my steps. And I get to surrender that all um, so that who I am is enough. It's not how, much, how good my abstinence is, how long I've been coming to meetings, how long it's been since I had sugar. These are all substitutes for the love of God. But these are all expressions of God's love for me. They're all gifts. Um, I try to be grateful when I eat today because I'm still powerless over food and I can get in a head trip. Like, is this absent enough? Am I good? Am I okay? What will the people in the meeting think? But I really am not in a way to please other people. I'm in a way because I have a serious fatal progressive disease that was killing me. And I didn't even know it. Thanks. I didn't even know it. I'm, so I'm here to recover from that. And now I'm here to recover from the spiritual malady. To grow closer to my higher power so I can find comfort within me without going to the food. And so what happens is naturally the foods that aren't working for me, the behaviors, like my people pleasing, dishonesty, fear, not wanting to come to conventions because people might talk to me there. Like it's starting to fall away on its own. Being, I really found one thing. Um, I had a sponsor tell me, he said, I can never fully accept that which I resent. So I find that I'm resentful of successful people who are prosperous and happy. People who are working a good program, people who are doing service, people who are loving and have a good energy. I'm like, well, like, I don't like his tie. Or like, you know, like they, they don't know the emotional pain that I've felt. And I've seen guys go out on that in recovery where they've been in recovery for some time and they hit some core issue or another and feel like God abandoned them. I don't feel like God abandoned me when that stuff comes up. I feel like I've ripened or maybe even earned the right to look at that part of myself. And I don't feel grateful when I'm in emotional pain, um, when I'm dealing with my shortcomings and defects of character. But I also don't feel alone. And I don't feel alone because I have accountability. Because I have a sponsor that I send my food to. I have another sponsor I talk about my feelings and my defects and my assets with. Um, I have meetings to go to. I have friends now. I have these gifts. Um, I always wanted to do it alone. It says in the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of OA book, it says uh, the reason we, some of us like me can't do it alone is because we're never meant to face this disease in isolation. I was never meant to face it. I was meant to experience the joy of fellowship. And the thing that blocks me from fellowship is my resentments. It's my envy. It's not, I'm not envious because other people are better than me. I feel envious because it makes me feel deficient or incomplete. I remember I talked about it. My sponsor told me, he said, stop telling God how to see you. Uh, he said, you're telling God to see you as incomplete. He said, God can't see you as incomplete. God can only see you as perfect, whole, and complete. And he goes, at least that's the God of my understanding. Like, what about you? And I'm like, yeah, of course. Like, of course, a great higher power. So he goes, I want you to live as if, you're per- as if God sees you as perfect, whole, and complete. And he never gives me advice. So I was like, I better do it. So I did. And for like five days, every time 
my self-hatred or my inadequacy would come up, um, instead of getting to go into the food and wasting the opportunity to let my higher power love me, I would like go to my higher power and say, how do you see me? And then I would feel okay about the feelings. I'd still feel my feelings, but i feel okay about the process. And then, so this went on five or six days. I wrote another letter to God and suddenly it just made sense that it doesn't matter how God sees me. <laughs> that God's like, God's not going to see me different than the truth. So really the truth must be that I'm perfect, whole, and complete. Um, and God's just trying to show me, like, here's the truth, here's the truth. Like, I'm going to send you. Um, so so you, you all, in a way, are the mechanism that God is using to help me. Wow. Like, what a gift. Like, God didn't just give me myself. God did, didn't just give me my own existence and my life. God gave me all you in this room. God gave me all of you in OA. God gave me a program. God gave me a sponsor. God gave me people in my life who love me. And even in my food, that was the only... I had a dream. Someone explained it to me in a dream because I wasn't getting it. You know, I felt guilty about my past addiction with food and everything and my behavior, my dishonesty. And finally, someone came to me in a dream and said... Um, yeah, it all happened because the universe loves you. The energy behind the universe loves you unconditionally and just wants you to be happy. But you were so sick, the only way that it could show you that love was through like food and like drugs and all kinds of other behavioral problems. And that's what it is. So even in my disease, my food was God trying to express His love for me. And I use the term His meaning generically. Um, my higher power is not really a gender conformist um so thank you for letting me share just briefly um um you know my time's up but i was i've learned that uh, young people it's great that everyone's welcome in oa and i'm a compulsive i was a compulsive overeater first and a young person second um and i could relate with what people were sharing in the meetings even though they were quite a bit um older than me thank you Thank you. And uh, our uh, third speaker is Cindy. to a time like one of the young people in here myself could see it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Cindy. I'm a compulsive overeater. Really thankful to be here. Uh, it's really a privilege. I wanted to mention before I get into my little shtick that um, there are some young persons packets, newcomer packets, uh, information packets on the little table in the back and also a young person's resource guide. So we'd really like to encourage you to take one uh, back to your meeting or for yourself and spread it around. So I have been an Overeaters Anonymous 
for a really long time. I was 25 when I came in. Um, I had brown hair. (laughs) (laughs) Which I dyed blonde for years. And uh, um, so I've been... Uh, uh, in a way, 41 years, uh, almost 41 years. I have uh, 41 years of very imperfect abstinence and recovery, and uh, I truly believe I am a miracle, and that Overeaters Anonymous saved my life, without a doubt. I weighed about uh, 340 pounds. I smoked two and a half, three packs of cigarettes a day, and really, I didn't have a problem. <laughs> I mean, I did not know why I was fat. I did not know why. And family or loving friends, uh, mostly loving family, who would try to help um, through whatever methods they thought were appropriate, um, would say, what's wrong with you? I mean, we never see you eat. I go, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I really, I did not know, (laughs) you know. Uh, I did not know some big, strange uh, thing, phenomenon. Uh, the correlation of food and and who I was just didn't seem possible. I was trying to think, um, you know, it's interesting. One of the commonalities it seems everyone has when they come in is that um, – especially when they come in young, is that I don't belong here. Who are all these old people? (laughs) So 25, 40 years ago when I came in, uh, there were more young people. Honestly, there were. But there were a lot of old people then too. And I used to think, what Uh, do I have in common? Well, first, I didn't like being here. Uh, Nothing about Overeaters Anonymous attracted me. Not the God stuff, not the name Overeaters Anonymous. Really, that isn't cute. You know, <laughs> there was an organization at the time called Tops, Take Off Pound Sensibly. Now, that's a cute name. Overeaters Anonymous. You know, I said, this is the drunks. This is the drunks AA. I don't like this. And I heard about OA four years before I got here. So I was like 21 when I heard about it. And Dear Abby, and somebody had written in and said, about their food problem, and they didn't know what to do, and they were at their wit's end, and they were really, really uh, distressed. And Dear Abby said, you should try Overeaters Anonymous. If they can't help you, no one can. And I thought, well, I'm not going there, because if they can't help me, I'm lost. So it took me four years to get into OA, and um, I really would be dead if I hadn't gotten here if it not by a heart attack or stroke, because I had a personality kind of, um, I can do anything you can do. So what if I'm 340 pounds? I'm going to mow the backyard in 90-degree weather. It's really a bad idea. Um, (laughs) It's like, you know, (laughs) stroke time. Uh, It's a bad idea. But I, I kind of had this idea that I couldn't act as if it impeded me. And uh, I've been on every food plan, diet they had in the book in those days, every single thing that there possibly was. I gave myself shots, uh, you know, the urine of a pregnant horse or whatever. I mean, you know, the stuff will do, you know, for Christ's sake. You know, uh, the the trash guys probably thought I was like a heroin addict or something. There were so many hypodermic needles in our trash from my mother and my sister and I and the diet things we would, oh, Lord, help us. 
uh, took amphetamines, you know, which only made me clean a lot faster and uh, <laughs> and much more, you know, intensely, you know. Oh, God. I did it all. Nothing really worked. You know, I lost weight once in Weight Watchers once, uh, a little bit, but nothing really worked. And when I came into OA and they talked about it as a progressive disease, I I did comprehend that because I I really had progressively gotten more and more obese as years went by. uh, And people were in wheelchairs and they were in walkers. A lot of people when I came into OA. and, uh, And then there were a lot of people who were not obese and who were thin or thinner or had been, I couldn't believe when people said they had any kind of recovery and they'd been abstaining and kept weight off for like five years. I thought, you lying, fill in the blanks. I thought they paid the speakers. (laughs) Who'd do this for free? (laughs) Who would come and bare their soul, you know, rip out their heart for free? And uh, really was shocking. Uh, I didn't like a lot. What I did like and really did impress me, I didn't know the words for it. I didn't know the name for it. There was a language here I had never heard. Uh, It's called honesty. I never heard that. I never really heard simple, clear, honest sharing. Uh, where I came from, you said things like if people irritated you and they were trying to irritate you and you knew they were trying to irritate you, said, they'd say, oh, I don't mean to make you mad. And you'd go, I'm not mad. And, you, you know, you're going to kill them. But I'm not, you know, you denied every truth. And the, I didn't know what it was, but I never heard people speak in that manner. I would have needed Western Union uh, to send me a message about a feeling. I never, I never knew the name of that feeling. You know, I could never identify that feeling. And um, oh, I had a tough time. I really had a tough time. I mean, I, I think of uh, of um, people who are so concerned: Are they going to stay? And I think, really, I mean, I, I the Jimmy Jones for those of you that are too young, Guyana massacre thing had happened. Well, so in Guyana, they pass out Kool-Aid and all these people drank it and they died. So I thought that was kind of like OA. And I said, (laughs) you know, they pass out Kool-Aid. I'm not drinking it. And uh, that's where they get that saying. They drank the Kool-Aid, by the way, is from that Jimmy Jones Guyana massacre. I didn't like the God stuff. Um, I had a tough time. What I liked was the weight loss and the cussing. (laughs) I really liked, and I have really held back right now because I'm being taped, but uh, I, I mean, you know, I can sound like a drunken sailor. It's not not great, but it's so expressive sometimes. And um, so I like that stuff a lot. And uh, I was, you know, once I, uh, well, I never thought when I came in, I never thought I was leaving. That's what I didn't, li- that bothered me too. I knew, oh, Lord. They have closed the door behind me. I know what this is. This is a lifetime program. They can say, I, I know. They have shut the door. And uh, I'm in here forever, which really kind of horrified me at the time. The blessings I've gotten, really, I could never give away back what I've been given. I could never repay what I've been given, you know, never. Um, 
never leave. I, I really do believe that. Y- you know, you're going to come in with people who are going to leave. You're going to come in uh, with people who are going to leave and come back. You may leave. I don't think it's a good idea. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? Who's going to be here for other people if you don't stay? Who's going to stand up and witness, frankly? If you don't stay, it is a responsibility. It isn't something you just take. <laughs> you know, it really is something that, that you give back. And no matter what happens, marriages, divorces, deaths, um, mental illness, which I haven't done the marriage divorce, but I've certainly had my bouts with uh, some real mental problems, and, um, and grief, I, I just see no reason to leave. And I don't always love it. You know, I'm not always a believer every second. <laughs> I had a sponsor once and I said, this was, I was, I'd been around a while, but I said, really, you know, I mean, really, do you believe all this shit? Really? <laughs> and she said, well, I'll tell you, whether it's true or not, when I do it, it works. So what does it matter? Well, I thought that was kind of enlightening. I could put away my intellectualizing, my skepticism, my microscopic analyzation, and uh, really experience what metamorphosis has happened and what can continue. I just read a thing. I'm going to see if I can remember it. Um, Every day is an is 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 my life's new beginning like it never ends evolution of the soul it never ever ends and it's really nice uh, it's a really nice thing the best thing i've gotten in over years anonymous is my relationship with god many of my dreams did not come true what i thought were typical regular these are everybody gets this Everybody gets these things, and they did not come true. And my acceptance of conditions I cannot change has been um, one a, a great path with me and God, a really great path. I really would like it if um, we did reach more young people. I really would. It's the energy is so... Uh, vibrant too, you know, it gives me so much. I think I'm younger than I am. <laughs> I kind of look like a rebel in the coat, don't you think? You know, yeah. And uh, it's just so exciting to see um, that energy and hope. And I-, I was blessed. I feel I was blessed when I came in, and I think it can be that way now too. Uh, uh, but I was really blessed. Some of the people I came in with are still in the program. I ran a teen group 100 years ago uh, in OA. And uh, some of those teens, well, God, my God, oh, my God, they're almost grandparents. But they're, they're definitely parents. And, I mean, they're like in their 40s or 50s. And they're still in the program. I tell them they could thank me. And then, <laughs> no, I'm to- totally kidding. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. But they're, they're just, it's really great to see that, you know. And it's... Um, I need you. I need you, I think, more than you need me. I need you. 
I just went through a bout of um, invasive breast cancer, and I'm still in treatment. And I and I'm I'm not just blessed with friends in the program, but, but but the life I've lived, the tools I've been given, the steps I've worked, I'm blessed with friends, and they have carried me really through this. And it's been great. And here's the bitch about all this. Okay, there was a cuss word. I think I said the uh, an S word too. Um, my treatment is a weight gain treatment. Now, when you have cancer, I think you need to be on the cancer diet <laughs> and look like it. And uh, my doctor told me this could be a 10 to 30-pound weight gain with the kind of treatment you're going to get. I just like, what? That's just wrong. <laughs> On so many levels, you know. But so what I'll say is what it's done. One, I feel you can make friends with diseases because I've had experience with making friends with a disease. You can make friends with a disease. And um, I'm grateful for the time in the program and not the wacky neurotic thing that could go on over what's happened sometimes with my weight and with the steroids and different things like that. Um, but it is not, I don't like it. You know, I don't really like it. I really, I really don't like it. I wanted the perk, like the Nordstrom's gift with purchase, you know, (laughs) where, okay, you're going to have chemo, but you lose weight. Okay. Anyway, so whatever. It doesn't always work that way. Uh, I'm thankful that I'm healthy. This is the truth. I really am a healthy person. Cancer schmancer, as long as you have your health. That's my new motto. It's true. (laughs) It's like my new and I didn't. I really didn't make that up. Somebody told me that. I have to give somebody credit in the program who told me that. I would like to take credit, but I can't because why? Because you do learn that you, you get, you're going to be honest. Oh, five more minutes. Well, let me think for a minute. Oh my God! I've had so many lives in OA. I've been a singer. I've modeled. Um. I retired. It's a lovely thing. I have a beautiful home. I went and got my degree, started back to school at the age of 42, and got my degree because I knew that was the only way I was really going to make a lot more money, and I really did. Yay. So I got to retire earlier than I ever thought I would. Um, I went uh, to New Zealand, Australia, and South Africa a couple years on a three-month trip. I have no fear in a lot of ways about a lot of things. Well, I mean, I have fear, but I don't care. Fear, whatever. You're always going to have fear. Who's going to listen to that nonsense? I mean, for God's sake, you know, well, that's just stupid. You know, blah, blah, blah. And I go, yeah, whatever. If it's good for me, I'm sure the voices are telling me not to do it. That's just nonsense. I mean, it's really, knock that neuroses out as often as you can because it just doesn't do you any good. You know, that whole, oh, it's just stupid. It just is. Um, So I'm looking forward. I'm coming to the end of some treatment and surgeries, and I'm really, really looking forward to getting back into what I call my real life, you know, where you can go to the gym and uh, you feel really good all the time and you're not always at a doctor and somebody's not putting a needle in you and um, you're not fighting with insurance and all that. I'm really looking forward to it, and I'm really happy to be here. This is like a great, pardon the expression, shot in the arm, but not in the bad way. And it's really uh, great to be here this weekend. I'm going to absorb all the love and all the stuff. You know, don't forget to pick up that resource thing and that young person's packet. And did you, do we know anything? 
10 a.m., probably at 10 a.m. tomorrow, so this is the only time you're going to hear it, we're going to have a kind of meet-and-greet young persons thing at Starbucks across the street. So if you need a cup of coffee, because we all do, come and join us, and um, we'll, we'll all act like foolish young people. Won't that be great? Thanks so much. Thank you. I believe we have one question in the Ask It basket, which is good because we have time for one question. And it's not directed at a specific person. Um, What would you tell a young person about OA who is put off by the higher power or God word in our literature? Um, you know, keep an open mind. <laughs> so what? You know what they used to say, take what you need, leave the rest. I was really put off. I was really, if, if they had said the JC word, I'd have been out of here. That's how I felt. Um, uh, you know, it's a process coming to believe in a power greater than oneself. And uh, uh, there's a saying I don't know if I'm going to say it correctly, but get the vision. Short arms has man, little short arms, has man. God is so willing to bend to him. So the barest, supplic- the barest expression of this will bring you a world of spiritual growth in whatever manner that may be. And uh, don't, don't worry about that. <laughs> Just like keep coming back, you know. That's all I have to say. Well, when I came in, of course, I was—I had a background of religion, and um, my God was punishing, um, and I was—I was never good enough for that. So, I would definitely share that, and the fact that today it's whatever I want it to be. It's not this specific thing. I don't have to kneel down to it. I don't have to praise this thing in the way that I was taught. Um, And that it it can be loving and it can be fun and it's positive. It's not a negative thing. And you can make it whatever you want. Um, You can use the word universe. You don't have to use the word God. You know, some people, I know some people who don't. I didn't use the word God. And I think that's the best way to explain to someone that you don't have to use those words. You just don't. They're only words. It's the power that you give them. Um, And that I always like saying that keep coming back until you really hear something that strikes you. Um, Yeah, for me it's different depending on uh, I could usually just share my own experience and that's more than enough um, but if someone is having a, a hard time with something about the program um, I, that's why I love talking to newcomers when people are at their first few meetings they're like oh I have a hard time with this and that and I go that's okay like <laughs> that's cool 
Like, it's okay to have a hard time with this program. It's okay to not be a part of this program. Um, but you're always going to be welcome here, no matter how you feel about it. We're always going to love you. And um, that's kind of how it, it was with me. I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, well, we just, we just love you, and you don't have to be here. And it says in the big book that we, we don't have a monopoly on God or recovery, but what we do have is we found something, I found something that works for me, and in order to keep it, I get to share it. So um, that's my take on the higher power things. You know, yeah, you're you're welcome to feel that way too. Thank you very much to Crystal, Cindy, and Alex. It's now time to close this session. Please stand and join hands as we close with, I put my hand in yours.